It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Hello, friends. Welcome to Cadillac On Call, presented by Cadillac Foundation. Each week, we are with you to share important health and medical information available here in the community from Cadillac. As we have done almost exclusively since early March, the focus has been on COVID-19. On today's program, that will be our priority. Important information to bring your way tonight, including a first-hand account of someone in the midst of recovering from the coronavirus. We'll also check in with leaders at the Benton Franklin Health District to understand where and where current cases stand as we enter the Christmas season. And finally, we'll hear from the chief nursing officer at Cadillac to learn about the situation at the medical center, plus some exciting news on the horizon with the first vaccinations of frontline workers coming pretty soon. First, what it is like to come down with COVID-19. I'm happy to welcome to the program Brian White who is the senior pastor at Hillspring Church in Richland. And Brian has graciously agreed to share his story with us. Good evening, Brian. First question, most important question, how are you feeling? You know, I'm doing really well, Jim. Um, Last week was not the greatest, but uh, we're we're getting out of it. Both my wife and I have been, um, we contracted COVID a couple weeks ago, and uh, we had probably... A couple really difficult weeks there, and then it's just been getting um, getting through. It kind of comes, goes up and down, honestly. And I think the um, exhaustion is really the the harder thing for for us, at least. It does sound like um, it really affects people differently. Um, I don't think there's any consistency from one person to the next. I spoke with several people today. Um, that have had COVID, and uh, frankly, one of our families, uh, they had very bad news about um, there was a woman who's a friend of mine, and her uh, father-in-law, um, they don't think will make it through the night, uh, and it's from COVID, and so it just really affects everyone differently. You know, it's interesting. My next question was just about that. You lead a church that has a cross-section of members, people of all ages, healthcare workers mm-hmm. included. I'm guessing COVID has impacted your congregation, as you just, just described, including people, not just this person you're referring to, who have lost their lives. Yes. It, we actually, one of the earliest deaths was in our church, uh, elderly couple who I love, and uh, they were both in different hospitals at the time and um he he made it through was a long journey um and then she did not and we've lost others uh had people i'm i'm 53 i'm in pretty good health honestly i've had people who are a couple i can think of brothers who are younger than me about 10 15 years younger one lost 25 pounds the other one lost 45 pounds um I think I probably gained ten in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> Having to be idle, just sitting around, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The the loss of taste, which I did experience. My wife didn't have the loss of taste, but I had uh, lost my taste and my 
sense of smell, but uh, apparently my hunger wasn't abated. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you brought up a good point of, of this impacts people so differently, these symptoms. And yes. and you touched on the one point, and I know one going into Thanksgiving and we're about to enter the Christmas season. And I know one of the one of the big public health directives that has been shared across the country and certainly in our area was limiting those gatherings. And and, and I, if you wouldn't mind sharing, I know you went through that whole process of wanting to get, you know, gain, gather with your parents and in-laws uh, for the holiday. But you decided not to. And it sounds like it was the wise move. It really was. That was a very difficult decision for us. Um I have, my parents are in their 80s, and my mom particularly has some significant health issues. And my mother-in-law is a cancer survivor and a stroke survivor, and they're, again, you know, significant issues. And my sister has really become, we've talked about this because I'm around people, Um, and so, you know, she's really become the, the main care provider for my parents. And, uh, you know, we're looking at Thanksgiving and all the data, and I actually had a lot of conversation with my doctor, my physician, who's a very, very close friend of mine. And um, we decided to not gather for Thanksgiving, and it was, it was an incredible blessing because, you know, obviously Thanksgiving was Thursday, and Friday night I had the chills and um, had my test Saturday morning, and I was positive. And my wife, um, the next day, she went in for a test, and she was positive as well. And I really feel if we had not done that, both mom and dad and then also my mother-in-law really most likely would have contracted it. And that would not have been at all a good situation for any of them. That's amazing, and and so the symptoms you touched on, you said uh, you were feeling you were feeling the chills, and then did you develop the fever? And you said the the loss of taste. Yes, I had you know initially the the chills at night, the fever, not a high fever, honestly, um, and I had uh, incredible headache, um, and then through the whole thing, just a real fogginess and. Uh, Kind of difficulty focusing, um, and my wife had a little bit more of a respiratory than I did. Uh, a very good friend of mine had it uh, at about the same time, and we're assuming somehow, uh, you know, one of us passed through the other one. And um, he's a he's a triathlete, a marathon runner, and he really got it in his his chest, his respiratory, and um, I was I was blessed. I didn't. Uh, I did. Uh, I was stupid. And so about a week into it or so, I was feeling pretty good. And I worked out and didn't do a hard workout. But um, I usually work out about six days a week. And um, next day was really bad. And my oxygen went down, not terribly. That's one thing I, I would suggest to your listeners um, is to get an oxygen meter right now. They're, they're like 20 bucks. And uh, one of the first things my doctor asked was, what's your baseline? Do you have an O2 meter? And I said, no. And we live out on a farm. You know, we're pretty, pretty far away uh, from civilization. <laughs> and um, and you know, we really are, actually. We're about as far from 
still being in the county as you can get. So you're really and, quarantined. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we really were quarantined. Yeah, yeah. And it's not like, you know, I, I didn't want somebody to run into town and then run out to the farm with an O2 meter. And so when, you know, Joe, my doctor, suggested I get an O2 meter. And so I had just ordered one on Amazon. He's like, well, you're supposed to have it now. And, you know, um, so I got it two days later. And I usually run about 100%. And so I got down. He told me if I um, oxygen dropped more than 4%, that I needed to go into the ER. And it dropped 4%. So it was down to 96. And it wasn't anywhere. Like the, the woman today telling me about her father in law. He's and there's no, um, you know, there's no names appended or anything on this. So, um, yeah, and so he's he's down to forty percent of oxygen on oxygen. Uh, you know, I can't fathom. Um, and I had another friend who his dad went in the ICU last week, and he hit like eighty-two. And there again, you know, I, I got down to ninety-six. So I was really blessed, uh, but I could feel it. You know, um, but I, I do believe it affects everyone so distinctly and different. And for me, the the real, you know, trying to concentrate and then fatigue, um, you know, there was a couple of days where I just couldn't get off the couch. But I have some other friends in the church who said they had that for three weeks. And so, you know, I, I do think, um, you know, realizing it's all going to affect every one of us differently and you know i i don't know why it doesn't make sense but it is the reality brian has agreed to stay with us for another segment when we come back i'm going to tap his expertise about coping with the pandemic and its restrictions especially during the holidays with people who are feeling isolated and certainly at the holiday season it can be difficult for certain people and we'll have we'll talk to brian about that right after this you're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to the program, continuing our visit with Brian White, pastor of Hillspring Church in Richland, currently at home recovering from COVID-19, along with his wife, both of them dealing with the coronavirus. And Brian, I'd like to take a few minutes, if you would, to tap your expertise for advice to those who may be struggling with isolation, not only from the COVID restrictions, but isolation in general. And we know all this pandemic that we've been dealing with has taken its toll and in a lot of ways for uh, on the mental health of folks and and i know this this particular time of year can be a tough time right it's really difficult and uh, you know just amplified by covid by everything in 2020 um i've frankly lost a couple friends now to suicide and uh it's been a hard year for everyone i i do think um you know, there's there's those who are feeling, you know, depression, anxiety, and then the other side are, you know, those who, who um, maybe don't understand those things. And I think for all of us, uh, this really needs to be a season of empathy and, you know, really just patience and compassion for people. Uh, I, I do think... Um, 
I'm a, I'm a big proponent of the Stockdale paradox from uh, Jim Collins is a uh, wrote a book called Good to Great, and he talks about this. And Admiral um, Stockdale, who was in uh, Vietnam, uh, he was a prisoner of war, and he had what Collins later called the the Stockdale paradox, which was a real grounding foot in reality, understanding the the issue that you're really dealing with and and not trying to sugarcoat that, but just an unwavering faith that you're going to get out of this. And I think for all of us, uh, regardless, you know, what situation we're in, you know, I think we need to take this seriously, um, you know, as a community, as a nation, uh, but also realizing, you know, we're going to get out of this and uh, it will be okay. Um, for our community, early on, like I said, we lost, uh, we had some of the first deaths. And um, we had brushed off something we've used quite a few times over the years just to have a larger strategy in how we're going to address any issues, questions, you know, like gatherings, um, all of that. And my theological hero, John Wesley, he was an Oxford professor and an Anglican priest in the 1700s. He had what he called three general rules, and we've really tried to adhere to those. And those are simply, first, do no harm. The second is um, do all the good you can. And the third is stay in love with God. And I think that do no harm, you know, when we've had to make decisions regarding like gatherings and um, how we handle, you know, uh, by virtue of, of our, um, my job and, and my peers uh, at the church, um, you know, we work with people and there's a lot of need out there this year, tons of, of hurt. Um, people feel very alone. And as we have sought to really fill those needs and, and meet those needs, you know, first and foremost, just do no harm. And, uh, you know, the opposite of do no harm, obviously, is to do harm. And if we break down our decisions, um, how are we really leading with that? That's been incredibly important. And that do all the good you can. I think going back to your initial question regarding um, depression, you know, one of the best ways I've found to help people is to just focus on the needs of others. And, um, you know, again, for our church, we have tried um, to, to really, you know, try to live that out. And, you know, we can focus on how, you know, how difficult this is, or we can help a lot of people out there. And there's a lot of people out here there that needs help. And that really gives us a sense of purpose. Um, we have, uh, at, at the church, uh, we opted to every fifth Sunday, just give away a hundred percent of our, um, offerings to need. We've raised over $130,000 that we've given away to, um, food banks here locally. We have a, um, program with East, um, Eastgate, um, elementary school in Kennewick. And then also we have a pretty big program in Honduras and we've been able to help them. Uh, they've just been hammered all year long with COVID. I mean, the whole nation was on lockdown for the bulk of the year, but then they obviously had the hurricanes in the last several uh, months and they've just had a difficult time. 
And then that third one, even in a secular sense, staying in love with God, you know, I think that's dealing with emotional and spiritual health. And, uh, you know, really, uh, I think being aware of where we are, and uh, it's so difficult right now. And I think, you know, we as a culture have gotten so used to texting for everything, and, uh, you know, uh, we don't even want to um, answer the phone when a friend calls, we'd rather they just text. I think right now we need to kind of get old fashioned and um, call people and just check up on them. You know, I think so often just hearing somebody cares is so important. And, um, you know, you could really be a lifeline for someone by just, you know, calling and checking up on somebody right now. You know, it's interesting you say that because I think all throughout this, even the public health measures that we're all at asked to adhere to, they're, they're simple. They're common sense. Wash your hands, wear a mask, don't gather together in, in larger groups. And just what you're saying, it's, you know, get back to the basics. I mean, the, as you touched on, this has brought out so much good in people of wanting to help the healthcare workers, wanting to help their neighbors. But, but you talk to people like yourselves in the, in the spiritual world that check on your neighbors, you know, call your neighbors that, that may be living alone. But but I guess, you know, we just have a couple of minutes left, but maybe that would be my, especially during the time of the year that we are in. I know we're still heavy into this pandemic and we're not, uh, we have more difficulty to come, we all hear. But, but but if you would maybe just, I guess, touch on those those key points and, and, and a concluding comment just from the, the, the fact that, that um, you know, choose uh, to look at this and, and let's get through this. That's exactly right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I know time is very limited, but um, reaching out, if you have a healthcare worker, especially, you know, we have a lot of Catholic um, employees and, and other medical uh, in our church, and they're on the front lines. And I don't think we realize how difficult it is. You know, I talk with several of our ICU nurses and, you know, they'll, they'll lose a couple people uh, in a day and that's not the norm. And uh, you know, the amount of stress that they've had and then trying to keep their families safe. And there again, I think just, you know, send them a card uh, you know, just that, that can make a world of difference to someone when they're having a really difficult day. And, and I would say just from one, one final comment that everyone has gotten so creative and whether it's like your congregation and I was, I participated in a, in an event for our senior population of a healthy, what we call healthy ages program. They had a zoom bingo party this afternoon. I guess that's the other is people have gotten creative and they've figured out ways and they, they haven't waited. They've, they've, they've taken it on themselves that, Hey, I'm going to make this fun. I'm going to make a difference. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And how can you learn through it? You know, we've had to learn so many new skills uh, because we've gone digital for, you know, just everything. And, um, you know, it, it's an opportunity, I think, to to really grow in areas that you wouldn't necessarily grow in. Well, I want to thank you for the taking the time. And I'm going to give you about maybe 30 more seconds because I want you to, to conclude with your public health message, because as we touched on in the first segment, it was difficult for you. You wanted to gather with your folks and your in-laws on Thanksgiving, and you made that choice. And my goodness, aren't you glad you did? And I guess what's your advice uh, for folks considering that uh, for the Christmas season? Absolutely. I, I, you know, so, so important. You just do not know, um, you know, if you have it, if you're going to give it. It's particularly if you have someone like my parents 
you know, who are um, high risk. Uh, we, we normally, at this time of year, we have a very large living nativity program. We usually have over 8,000 people come, and we, we moved it to online this year. It's, that was a hard decision, but it's the right decision. Well, Brian White, uh, most importantly, uh, continued good wishes to you and Tammy on your recovery, and you sound a lot better. I know we chatted yesterday, and you just sound better 24 hours later. Uh, Have a great holiday season. Uh, Please be well and pass along all the best wishes to all the friends at Hillspring. Thanks so much for joining us. Brian White, the pastor at Hillspring Church, himself recovering from COVID-19. Back with more in a moment. listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Cadillac On Call presented by Cadillac Foundation. If you missed any part of our program, it is available by podcast. Search Cadillac On Call wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Our colleagues at the Benton Franklin Health District have been valuable partners with us during the past 10 months, especially on this program each week. And back to the phones we go now to connect with Heather Hill, who is the Communicable Disease Program Manager with the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, first question, where do we stand with cases as we visit tonight on December the 16th? You know, unfortunately, Jim, we're continuing to see large numbers of positives. Our test sites aren't seeing the record number of people coming through that we were, say, a few days back, you know, on into last week. But our test sites continue to have very, very high rates of traffic coming through to get tested. We're also seeing an interesting trend happening where we've risen to this very high level of activity and it's kind of plateaued at that high level. Oftentimes you'll get a spike, you'll get to a a peak, and then you'll drop off and have a little bit of a valley. And as we look at our data, it spiked and it just seems to be hovering up there. We've been, you know, trying to figure out why is it doing that? Why isn't it coming back down? And, And we don't know exactly why. We suspect it has to do with the type of activities that happen over a holiday. It's Thanksgiving wasn't necessarily just a one-time event. It was over several days, and that's what we see as potentially happening into Christmas as well, is there's multiple gatherings around, you know, Christmas or, or Thanksgiving holidays. So we, we honestly don't know why it's doing that. It's just a very interesting trend that leaves us a bit uncomfortable. For people who just heard our interview with Brian White, who he was diagnosed just day the day after Thanksgiving, and they had a very difficult challenge of wanting to gather with with their their parents, and they made the choice not to, and wisely so. So I guess that's that advice as we now get ready for the Christmas season, right, Heather? Yeah, it's coming up very very shortly, and I think now is the time to really start making your plans for what are you going to do to to reduce your risk of catching COVID of spreading it potentially to a very vulnerable person during the Christmas holidays. And I, and one of the things that Brian commented that that I think was really important because is that it, 
it, it's so different depending upon who it is. He had symptoms. His wife had symptoms. But, you know, he, some people it hit very hard, obviously very serious. Some people have passed. But then the others that it's very mild and they don't have those symptoms. All the more reason why this is, is so can be so scary. You're right. And that's what we're seeing. In fact, the farther out we get from our original infections that happened early this year, we talk with physicians locally, particularly our local physician community that say they're really noticing months and months out of that original infection, patients are still struggling with um, some severe uh, complications later on, months later. So it's a very interesting situation to watch unfold in front of us. If you would, let's let's shift to more promising uh, conversation, and that has to do with the vaccine. And I know uh, the first doses have arrived in the Tri-Cities, and I know Cadillac was one of the first, and, and there are plans in, in place. A lot of work is being done to begin that in the coming days. But could you explain for the listeners, uh, I know the, how it's been distributed. It's very limited amounts. There's very strict criteria and, um, and protocols on who gets it first and, and all of those kinds of things. But give our listeners a little understanding of, of how this starts. Sure. Historically, the local health jurisdictions like Benton Franklin Health District have been the entities that you know, many years ago, we received the vaccine, and then we did secondary distribution to our providers. That's how it worked with the influenza pandemic uh, the last time we had that. I believe it was in 2009. We received the H1N1 vaccine. We redistributed it. Since then, uh, it's been determined that really centralizing this type of a distribution at Department of Health was much more efficient and so Department of Health is the distribution hub. Meaning Olympia Department of State of Washington. The Department Olympia Washington State Department of Health. You're correct. And we've had lots of discussions about aligning ourselves as a state with the CDC phases. And Washington State will be going along with those phases as far as who gets the first doses, knowing that Yes, Pfizer has come on board with with doses, but we know it's going to be limited. There isn't enough right now in Washington State for even every healthcare provider and EMS provider in the state. So we've got to be very careful how we phase this vaccine into our community so that we protect our frontline workers, those people who we need them there to take care of us if we get sick. And so we want to make sure that they have access to it, as well as our EMT paramedic population. They, too, are frontline facing um, a lot of risk for catching this. So we know we want them on board. And then the long-term care, the congregate housing for that vulnerable senior population. And it's going to take a few weeks for us to get enough vaccine that we can cover all of those entities. The Pfizer vaccine is a super cold vaccine. You have to have a freezer that goes to minus 80 centigrade, which is colder than Antarctica in the winter. And not everybody has those. So that's the first criteria to get this vaccine. Do you have the type of freezer that can handle Pfizer? One of the second 
things that Department of Health looked at is how many doses are you going to be distributing? These boxes come with 975 doses of vaccine in it. And it's not a situation where you can take a few out and send them to another provider. It's a very, very fragile virus and you cannot break cold chain very long at all before the vaccine will no longer work. So it has to be handled extremely carefully, extremely accurately. So they look at entities that, first of all, like I said, have storage capabilities. And second of all, would be using that large of amount of vaccine within their facility. And there were several other factors that they were looking at, but those seem to be two um, major factors that determine who gets the vaccine and, and when they'll get it. It was an application process. Uh, all providers have to apply. And right now, Washington State has three people working on this approval process and they currently have 2,100 applications to process. Wow. So it is a huge lift to get this vaccine rolled out across Washington state. But it is good news and ultimately all of the listeners out there, but they probably will not be till, you know, first quarter, second quarter of next year until it's right, on right. a larger distribution. We know Moderna is going to be coming on very soon. I think they're meeting tomorrow the 17th to make a decision, the, um, the FDA is. And we should know soon after if the Moderna is fully um, approved for use. And their initial allotment is going to be a little bit larger than the Pfizer. And the Moderna vaccine doesn't come with those very, very strict, super cold uh, requirements for storage. So I think on one hand, it was disappointing and discouraging. But on the other hand, it's not going to be long before we start to see more vaccine come, other varieties come, and get those frontline uh, healthcare workers and EMS providers protected. Okay, I'm going to give you 15 seconds. Next week, we got a lot more time with you, I know, planned before the Christmas holiday. But if you would, um, with that, I know one of the cautions that, that they're saying, because, yay, the vaccine's here, but that doesn't mean we let our guard down. No, vaccine is just one more tool in our toolkit. We have to keep doing all the other things that we've recommended. It takes that full toolbox to really you know, put into effect and make a dent in our case rates. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. Thank you so much as always and continued uh, great wishes to all the team. And I do want to just a quick mention uh, the Public Health District Board of Health from Benton and Franklin Counties today uh, deservedly recognized Dr. Amy Person for her leadership and in what have not been really easy times over the past 10 or 11 months. And I know uh, Dr. Amy would uh, include all of her team in that tribute. So we can, we congratulate and thank everyone at the Benton Franklin Health District. Back with our remaining minutes of Cadillac on Call right after this. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. For our final segment today, we're going to get a hospital perspective at Cadillac Regional Medical Center from its chief nursing officer and chief operating officer, and that's Kirk Harper. And 
Uh, before we have Kirk uh, talk to us about some of the positive news surrounding the vaccine, uh, Kirk, why don't you begin by just giving us a perspective? What, how, how is how is the hospitalized situation at Cadillac currently relative to COVID and otherwise? Well, we are definitely staying busy. I mean, our numbers have increased, and that gets reported out through the uh, you know Department of Health. We all submit that number. So our, our numbers are gone up in our COVID-positive patients that are admitted and occupying a bed. And then our overall volume is up at the hospital. But it's also more than just the volume. It's the uh, you know, the impact of the care that we deliver with all the patients coming to receive that care. And, you know, it's just different in how we deliver it because of, you know, donning and doffing the PPE, the, the restrictions we have still with uh, visitors and care partners. So that it's all encompassing. So it's a little bit more than just the numbers. So it's putting the whole, all of it together. And it sounds like we just visited with Heather Hill from the health district, and she says the, the data seems to still show a, a plateauing, it hasn't gotten back down yet. So we're still in the throes of this. We are, and, and that's consistent with what we're seeing at the hospital. And again, that has the, the impact to our caregivers is one of the you know, major components of that, again, because of all the activities that go in and are involved with caring for patients that are positive with COVID. Well, let's uh, let's turn to the positive news. In addition to uh, the successes that I know that have been had for on how the how patients are treated with COVID, but I know the vaccine. We've seen it around the country. It's starting to arrive at various distribution points around the country. And I know I, I think Cadillac, I understand, is is one of the rece- initial receiving sites. What's the plan? I know you're you're fairly close to maybe able to start doing some vaccinations. Absolutely. It is very exciting. I mean, this is so, you know, so proud to be part of it and all the work that our team has done going into the preparation for the ability to start uh, administering the vaccine. We've done tabletops. We're doing some dry runs. We're really getting into the motion to where we can start doing this here in the next couple of days. And it's going to be very exciting to start providing the vaccine. It's been interesting to watch around the country as as some of the healthcare workers, obviously, their priority one in this distribution because it's just not readily available as as it normally would be due to it's so new. But seeing some of the reactions of some of the nurses and the healthcare workers that have gotten their vaccinations, you know, I mean, you see them doing dances. You some of them, you know, get pretty emotional. They start crying. Uh, this is a this is a nice breakthrough for them and something that I'm sure our, our team is, is looking forward to and all of the healthcare workers are looking forward to. Absolutely. It's that, you know, that light at the end of the tunnel. It's, you know, showing the efficacy of the, the vaccine and receiving it. And then, you know, the positive impacts that we've seen in vaccines in general throughout, uh, you know, time and in the vaccines and what they've done. So just knowing what this one will be able to do and getting it started is just a significant, uh, you know, we're proud and very fortunate to be uh, doing this in our community. I was going to say, one one of the things that I know, you know, you read about on some of the stories, there are some side effects, and, and you touched on the incredible planning that's gone in just to unveil this and begin this with the staff at Cadillac. But given those side effects, you're even planning for that with the, with the, the caregivers because obviously they've got to be at work. Yeah, we're doing our best because we, you know, the vaccine's getting rolled out in phases, and we're really looking at our highest risk exposure uh, caregivers based on their role and the location in where, which they work. And then, because of potential uh, 
side effects. We're just being very mindful to try to stagger who comes in and receives it and how they and when they receive it. So we're just being mindful of that also. From the leader of of, of the operations uh, within the hospital, and, and we touched on this last week when you were on, of just the incredible, I, I know, great feeling that you feel toward the staff, but but as we sit here kind of on the on the precipice of of having this vaccine that where it can start helping these workers that have really put themselves out there for months now um I, what what's going through your mind as you sit here uh on the on the precipice of this kirk it's that you know after all the impact the emotional psychological just the impact that it's had on our caregivers and the health system in general and the patients who have been either, you know, withholding and not taking, you know, coming to receive their care because they have been fearful. It's putting all that together to saying that, again, light at the end of the tunnel, there's, this is a positive approach to how we can combat this and really come out the other end better, stronger, and then having people get back to some form of, uh, you know, normalcy as that will be as we evolve with this. But it's just putting all that together because, yeah, this, the sacrifices that have gone and impacted people, both caring for patients and receiving care, it'll be nice to have this behind us at some point. Give you a couple of seconds to maybe make a concluding remark. I know we talked about this going into the Thanksgiving season, and, and people are certainly being cautioned entering the Christmas season. But but from your view uh, as a healthcare leader and a healthcare, as a nurse yourself, that reinforce those quick uh, public health measures that people need to continue to be vigilant as uh, as we as they wait to get their vaccine absolutely you know it's good hand hygiene it's good social distancing it's wearing that mask it's making sure that they keep their you know family and their gatherings small that they're doing and then they really are limiting extended family or extended you know larger gatherings and really being mindful of it and hopefully, as we see our numbers, you said Heather was indicating they're plateauing a little bit. It's an indicator that people can do it because they did it through Thanksgiving, and they can uh, lean right into it and do the same thing through Christmas. Well, Kirk, uh, thank you to all the to yourself, the, the leadership team, all of the the team at Cadillac, and and I guess we should extend that to to everyone who is an essential worker, uh, helping to keep everybody safe. Thank you. Kirk Harper, the Chief Nursing Officer, Chief Operating Officer at Catholic Regional Medical Center. Our thanks to Kirk, our thanks to Heather Hill, Brian and Tammy White, and our deepest gratitude to all of the healthcare workers and first responders for their tireless commitment to serve our community. Please be safe, be well, continue to follow those important public safety measures so we can put this virus behind us once and for all. Good night.